Sabaiti, everyone. Welcome back to Radio Akbap Talk. I'm Rachna. This is the podcast that crisscrosses the globe, talking to the pioneers in the world of folk art, the changemakers in travel and tourism, and the innovators in remote communities. We go from Tashkent on the Silk Road to the Middle Atlas, from the Ketron Highlands in Peru to the colorful silk weaving villages in the misty mountains of Laos. We bring you a series of conversations that delve into the minds of these custodians of culture. All aboard, let's go. Today we'll chat with Susan Hull Walker, the founder and creative director of Ibu Movement. The Akpapak team first met Susan at the International Folk Art Festival in Santa Fe a few years back around the time she launched Ibu Movement. And hearing her speak and share her vision, we immediately sensed this is a woman on the move. No doubt Ibu Movement is at the forefront of galvanizing the global artisan community. Susan's work empowers and connects people, in particular women at all levels, from a village-based artisan to a woman in corporate or suburban America. And she's found common ground for these women from faraway places and disparate experiences to come together meaningfully. I find this very intriguing and something worth hearing about. In this episode, Susan will describe the working model of Ibu movement and the artisan design and retail arm of her work. Next, we'll discuss the Ibu Foundation and an exciting virtual online event called Masquerade to help raise funds and awareness for artisan cooperatives. We'll talk about how Susan is guiding the team and Ibu movement to face the current moment and look forward. As Susan says in our conversation, this is an opportunity to re-examine our priorities and to change them. So let's head over to the historic streets of Charleston along the shores of the Atlantic Ocean and catch up with Susan. Hi, Susan. Welcome to Radio Pop Talk. Good morning. It is so lovely to be here with you. I'm delighted. Oh, it's really nice to finally um, connect. And uh, so you're in Charleston this morning. I am in our warm, balmy Charleston on the coast of South Carolina, where I've just taken a long walk. And even though it's November, it's very warm here and uh, and beautiful. It's a gorgeous day. I'm sitting here um, overlooking a garden and just loving the chance to talk to you. Oh, great, Susan. Thank you so much. And you mm-hmm. also spend time in another beautiful city, Santa Fe, correct? Yes, I do love both of these places, uh, both sort of renowned for their very distinct architecture, for their sort of culture, for their beautiful natural resources. So I feel like a very lucky woman to be able to draw some strength uh, from both of these places. Susan, four years ago, you began Ibu Movement, which you call a worldwide web of self-authorized women on the move. You work with 110 artisans in 38 countries, bringing their textiles and crafts from the beginning of the creative process all the way to your shop floor in Charleston and on your online shop. Can you give us a little background on why you selected this model, um, this model that begins with connecting with artisans from the co-design process all the way to the consumer? Yes, of course. You know, I, 
I start with the fact that I love textiles. I love the traditions and the stories that are held within them. For years uh, before this, I was a minister and I was always interpreting sacred texts. And I always wondered what a text uh, written by a woman from our ancient cultures that come down to us, what would that look like? What would it sound like? And then I began to study textiles simply out of a love for them. And I realized that women were not reading and writing through most of human history, as we know, but they were putting their stories into cloth. They were spinning and weaving and dyeing. And each of those activities held immense meaning for them as they did that. And so they're literally recorded lives in textiles. And it's a woman's text. It really comes from the same word and uh, textaire. It's the word for weaving, which is really prior to even the word for text. So it was the original text. And so I, I loved that. So when I then began to work with women artisans, and these are mostly groups, um, you mentioned 110, but artisans, but it's really 110 artisan cooperatives, which means um, thousands more are actually involved in the making of it, uh, of these things that we design. But I wanted to start with their particular tradition, their brilliance, their skills, uh, the heritage skills that have been passed down to them from their mothers and grandmothers, these languages and cloth. And I wanted to elevate those. I did not want to go in and impose uh, my particular, you know, Western view of what's happening, what's trendy now in the market. That was the last thing I wanted to do. Rather, I wanted to bring these stories in cloth to the rest of the world and elevate them and say, this is a language, it's an art form, it's a craft that we have not yet fully recognized. And then I wanted simply to make it more accessible to the rest of the world by slightly tweaking some of their uh, skills and colors and so on, so that the market that I know would buy them. And therefore these women could become financially self-sufficient doing what they have always done, but have never been paid for. So that's how I came to this model. And how has it been? Um, I mean, in the four years, what have been the great successes and the great challenges? Every bit of it has been really joy for me, even in the challenges, because I, I am so inspired by the women with whom we work. They become leaders in their community. They send their daughters to school. It is Many of the women are facing huge obstacles, war in South Sudan or uh, flooding that just happened in Guatemala, just wiped out a whole cooperative's village or, um, you know, all of the COVID, COVID was a huge challenge for many. Poverty, of course, having a, access to resources such as good fabric to work on. So all of these are challenges. Um, and that last one may be one of the greatest, just being able to uh, access the resources that they need in their own country to be able to do the projects that we uh, design and work with them on. Um, but we've worked through all of that. Sometimes we have to ship fabric, but but we get to the to the place that we are both really happy with the result. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose the name Ibu? I love this word, Ibu. I first uh, came across it when I was in Indonesia. And uh, Ibu is the word used to um, refer to mother, aunt, uh, teacher, any woman of respect. And I heard it used as an honorific 
that um, was just so beautifully a part of their everyday language. And uh, that was fun to say. I mean, Ibu just <laughs> kind of rolls off the tongue. I loved the word, Ibu. And um, so I tucked it away. And really a few years later, um, decided to name this whole movement after these women of respect. Ibu movement is an immersive, hands-on working model. When you work closely with artists and communities, you become intimately aware of their daily experience. As Susan's vision for Ibu movement evolved, it became apparent that many of the artists and cooperatives she worked with faced infrastructure and capacity issues that required immediate attention. This realization led to the launch of Ibu Foundation, a not-for-profit arm of Ibu movement. Under the rallying cry, We Are Ibu, the foundation works alongside artisan communities to ensure they have the tools, skills, and infrastructure necessary to make the cooperatives viable and sustainable. Here, Susan explains the role of the foundation in the movement and how it came about. Uh, it's a nonprofit arm, a sister uh, organization to the Ibu brand that we've been working on, which is itself is a social enterprise. It's not about profit. It's about just, you know, giving work to the to women artisans. But we found that some groups didn't even have a level playing field. We discovered in Nigeria a group that we had had done beautiful embroidery for us one year. The next year could not meet their deadlines. We had changed the background fabric from white to black and they couldn't see, they said, past sundown because they didn't have any lights. And so just realizing the need for solar lights and for others, it was training, just it, maybe it's business training. Just because you're the best weaver in the village doesn't mean you know how to run a business and how to export and how to deal with um, the financial aspect of things. So we started um, this nonprofit, weareibu.org. And we, we, I'm so glad we did because with COVID coming, uh, so many of the artisans just really lost their work. Orders dried up and we were able to provide relief for a number of the groups with whom we work. Typically this time of year, you host an in-person fundraising event for Ibu Foundation. But this year um, you're doing a free virtual fundraising event that anyone can attend. And it's, I think very cleverly called Masquerade. Um, it's really a genius name because it really goes right to the core of what each of us is dealing with in some shape or form, which is, you know, wearing a mask and dealing with the pandemic. So can you tell me a little bit about how the concept of Masquerade came about and what you have lined up for the auction? Yes. You know, we were uh, bemoaning the fact that we couldn't have our in-person night at the Cosba that we had planned. Uh, our executive director was saying, but gosh, we haven't been able to do all the training that we wanted to do this year because of COVID. And I said, but look at what we have done. Look at what the foundation has done. It has responded directly and immediately to the COVID uh, situation, which in many countries was just dire, you know, government shutting the groups down and, um, and no work. And I thought, also, what are we doing? We're wearing masks. And I also thought a mask is a piece of fabric. It's a piece of cloth. And why not ask some of these artisans to use their own stories, their own traditions in cloth and to absolutely wow us with 
uh, masks that are embellished with that tradition. And we said, please go wild, just um, do whatever you can do to represent your culture on a mask. And they did, and they're fabulous. Uh, we've put them on little metal stands, so they become ethnographic artifacts, really, to remember this time and to remember, you know, masks are a form of respect for those around us. And um, so I think the whole symbolism just really worked. Yeah, I love all the masks. Like, I took a look at them online and... And you're right, like, you know, they're really art pieces and they're fabulously done. And and I love also the what you just said, that, you know, masks are really a form of respect for the people we encounter in day-to-day -day life, you know, caring for their welfare. Yes. So we put on a mask, which is a real contrast to kind of some of the politicization that has gone on with it. So... I think it's really speaks on many levels, which I really love. Um, and the, you're really good at coming up with campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what was really great was that the artisans were so excited to do this. They, they just jumped on it. And often several women within a group wanted to try their hand at it. And so I love that it generated that kind of excitement. And there were even other groups who heard about it and said, we want to do one too. Earlier, Susan mentioned that women tell their stories through textiles. Giving voice to this narrative is a big part of Ibu Movement's mission. For the Masquerade fundraising event, Susan and her team have curated a collection of four stories told by women artisan leaders from South Sudan, Pakistan, Morocco, and Nigeria. It's one of the highlights of the event, and here Susan explains why. Well, you know, the one thing we hear the most is that, uh, particularly through the foundation, donors, they want to know these women. They want to know the artisans in some way. They want to hear them, uh, meet them, and see close up what is really going on in their country. So we, we set up, you know, this virtual um, series of four conversations. The leader and founder of the group in South Sudan with whom we work, Aneth Dual, who's who's just an amazing things bringing together women from, you know, 18 different tribes to be together while a war is still going on and they're, the men and their family are still killing each other. And then um, uh, Samina Mahmoud from Pakistan, who is doing uh, incredible works, uh, incredible work with She Works, which is um, working with women throughout the rural areas of Pakistan who are doing this, the embroidery they've always known how to do. It's just exquisite. And she is bringing work to them. Wafa Safar in Morocco, who has been with us for all five years, a young woman who is now leading the group there that her mother-in-law began. And they make uh, the very famous buttons that you see up and down mm -hmm. on Moroccan jackets. And we also have Hussana. Hassana Hussef in Nigeria, mm -hmm. who has started the Queen Amina Embroidery Center, and they are trying to build a workspace, and we've been working with them on sewing, getting them sewing machines and lights, um, and they are even setting up their own retail space. They are very energized and ambitious and have very little to work with, but um, they're really excited about what they're doing, and Queen Amina was a fierce warrior queen uh, of their region that they've named their group after and did and did a mask in her honor 
Productions, our executive director, Hannah Blatt, had um, mm -hmm. conversations with each of these four women, which we recorded and are uh, editing down to a very short segment. But then the day of, we will have the artisan with us live so that as people watch this short interview, they can type their questions in and then um, speak directly with the artisan back and forth towards the end of the 20 minutes. We're also going to uh, feature the mask of that particular group. And, you know, I'm going to welcome people at the beginning. So we'll have a full um, program, but the meat of it is really hearing the best of these you know, back and forth interviews and then being able to ask questions directly in the moment. When we started Radio Opera Talk back in September, I was eager to interview Susan. Her vision stood out to me. It's a socially conscious business model built around sustaining the language of textiles, around building a global community of artisans and around providing direct conversations between artists, designers, and consumers. During the early days of COVID, I received newsletters and emails from Ibu headquarters in Charleston, and I realized quickly that Susan's response to COVID was equally compelling. The events of 2020, from the pandemic to Black Lives Matter, to the ongoing wars, natural disasters, refugee crises, and aching poverty that impacts the entire planet, calls for a reset. And I wanted to know how Susan is approaching this reset. In this segment, Susan shares how she's navigating the moment and looking forward. What an interesting year it has been. You know, it started, yeah. 2020 started and I thought this is the year of the woman. You know, we here in America, we have the 100th year anniversary of the women's right to vote. And um, I was really all geared up and had massive uh, plans and strategies for the year. And then just not far into it, of course, COVID happened. And um, the first thing I did have to do was to trim down anything at Ibu that was not absolutely essential for our survival. So we did become much uh, slimmer in every way. And we now have, uh, I now work with four young women. Um, one of them is with the foundation and the other three are working at Ibu, all truly committed and um really brilliant young women who are really making all of this happen with me and I couldn't do any of it without them. So we immediately thought, okay, we have to close the store. We have to close um, all of our trunk shows down, which we had planned. So, and that's really where most of our sales had occurred. So we've got to turn entirely online. And um, with that, let's increase the, the way we get out the story. So we went from two to four mailings each week we, yes, tried to really speak into the times. It was during that that Black Lives Matter really rose and was very much a part of our life at home where we had very active um, protest and concerns being expressed as they so rightfully needed to be, it was time. And then we, um, you know, we, of course, you just have to address everything as it comes. But then I feel like there's also this point <laughs> when um, of this need to, to really look ahead. And I find that this very pivotal year actually is so necessary for us. It has, it has helped many people look at their priorities and change them. Um, it has 
led us to really sort of reach out to one another a lot more. And um, it has really been sort of a very heartful year. And I um, am glad that our, even our foundation was able to turn and just help with basic relief for artisans who no longer could put food on their table. Um, so we are a small band, but we are so committed to this uh, fact that we are women all over the world sort of changing and making change happen. And it's not just us, you know, four or five women at the IBU headquarters in Charleston. It is women leaders all over the world. And that's part of what these conversations are really elevating, are women on the front lines who are the leaders in the IBU movement. Has the pandemic also, or the last few months, I should say, um, also strengthened your relationships with the cooperatives and the women you work with? I think it has. I think it has because we are all, uh, we're all struggling, Ibu too, you know, of course, retail just took a, a huge hit and with everything, you know, store closed down, that was, was hard and, and we had to just understand each other and, um, I think the ability for the foundation to help out certainly just got some of them through and kept them from having to close their their workshops because they couldn't pay the rent and so on. And um, so I think there's a mutual gratitude and respect that is happening and that we really feel like we're all in this together because we really are. And with Black Lives Matter, you know, I'd say... 80 to 90% of our artisans are women of color. And so that also is, is something that we have just been a part of from the beginning and that we uh, so much support that change that is happening where women of color are really uh, rising into new uh, leadership roles and really leading the way. And here we are winding down another insightful and hopefully inspiring conversation. I encourage you to attend the Masquerade event, hear and speak with Ibu's artisan leaders, and of course bid on the gorgeous masks created by them. The links for the online event and auction are provided in the description of this episode. If you have trouble locating anything, please contact me at Talk or connect with Ibu online and we'll get you to the right place at the right time. Thank you for listening in, and we'll catch up next time. Kop chai lai lai.